This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fan-freaking-tastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Charles Chuck Thompson is not in this chair right here, but I do have Amanda Griffiths. It's been a long time, Amanda. Young Voices contributor. You're always writing great stuff. We're going to be talking about one of your articles today. Amanda, how you been doing? I've been doing so well. I have been finally moving in to my life in Madison. Uh, the accent is also moving into every part. Yeah. Well, so I lived in Chicago before, so I'm not just I'm not just making fun of people mm-hmm. who who are in Madison. I just have a very impressionable dialect. Uh, and when I go somewhere, if I'm there for more than 48 hours, I pick up on on the uh, on the dialect you already had a so very northern happening. you already had a very northern accent just so you know i remember I had a little bit yeah <laughs> after uh, after my wife met you she's like where's amanda from i was like it's not <laughs> california i can tell you it's not Freaking- california well, when I lived in California, I did have a little bit of a vocal fry. And so it was super weird as I can either do the vocal fry or I can keep the Chicago long A. And I just kept the Chicago long A. So I like it. So we vibe in. Yeah. Okay. So you moved. That's been a big deal. Really big shakeup in your life. And we were, I, I wanted to make sure we picked up on something we were talking about beforehand. We were just talking with the group, the Discord group, the Fed Haters Club, as we call them. Um, oh boy. I mean, you're kind of. This is supposed to be an interview, but you've been on the show so many times and we've known you for so long. It's, right. it's really just more like you know, being a guest co-host right now. But um, we were talking about whether or not it was going to be Trump versus Biden. And I'm very strongly uh, decided that it's going to be Trump versus Biden. You said you don't think it's going to be. I need to I need to know I, your thoughts on this. I don't. Th- honestly, from what I hear, the Republicans the GOP are really, really, really trying to rebrand after having literally their party wrecked by Donald Trump and the Trump, uh, the Trump base, which if you look at the data, it's a new base. It's a different base than the people who were previously voting Republican. Um, and they ain't like it. <laughs> uh, so it's, I really think that from what I hear and from what I hear from consultants and what I hear from people in the media, I don't think it's going to happen. I I don't think they're going to let Trump in. I really don't. Well, how are they going to pull that? How are they going to pull that off? You know, you look at this polling numbers right now, they're really high. Are they going to introduce a lot more candidates to try and split up that vote? Or what do you think they'll do? Uh, I would say debates. They'll have a lot of debates. They might introduce more candidates, although I would think they were trying to clear the field beforehand. So you see a lot of people getting behind DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that he might be a very, uh, he's a very probable candidate. 
Um, he's a very probable nominee, I would say, just because, again, of what I hear, I think you, you have a lot of pundits, you have a lot of people in the so-called establishment class trying to rally behind him. And he did write in a little bit on Donald Trump's coattails. Uh, he's doing culture war stuff. The fact that he's he intends to run suggests that the election will very much be a culture war type of election, which is not something for which I am particularly excited. I think <laughs> there are more pressing issues, but everyone loves the culture war. It gets the clicks. So here we are. It's really fun to talk about, and it's a problem that will literally never be solved. So we can just perpetually argue about all of these things, I guess. And uh, it, it gets the people going. It keeps us talking. I mean, it, we 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 say we're not going to talk about it, and then we just talk about it. We just talk about it for, for episodes and episodes and episodes. And I'm like, I don't care about this. Exactly. I care about economics. That's all I care about. Yeah, Oops. you know, it's just boring, man. I really <laughs> find the culture war stuff pretty boring. Yeah. Um, when I'm asked to comment on it, I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to care. I don't want to have to care. Well, you don't have to care. That's the beauty of of America, no. right? You can care about whatever you want. Uh, like, like this article that we could talk about. But before we talk about the article from that you had published by the Federalist, by the way, congrats on that. That's great. Thank you. And um, I wanted to ask, is are there any other big news items that you're following right now, news of the day type things that, that you've got to very solid opinion on that we need to know about? Uh, nothing huge. I just hope that Tucker Carlson and Don Limon are having fun. <laughs> you think they're hanging out That's together all. right now? I do. Yeah. I think they're hanging out. I think I honestly, I tweeted a joke about them forming the new cast of Crossfire 2.0. Evidently that might be a thing. I need to stop tweeting jokes because this happened before mm -hmm. when I suggested inflation stimulus checks in California. And then Gavin with good hair must have been following me and been like, that's a great idea. And she has better hair than me. Actually, no, <laughs> he would probably said something like, that's a great idea. But that idea is our lodestar. And her hair is uh, a benchmark to success. You got to bite your lip a little bit path. when you're doing it. You got to bite your lip when you're saying that. You know, do that Benchmark thing. You got to try and be as fake as possible. There yeah, go. I got to slick my hair back. I think Gavin yeah. Newsom might just be a robot. I think he's some kind of, he's a perfectly designed fake politician robot uh, that just goes out there. And, and I mean, listen, you have to, you have to admire it. He's really good at all the fakery, but also it's so obvious. It's so obvious Is he's he acting the entire time he's talking. He looks, I mean, he sounds like he was written, like everything that comes out of his mouth sounds like it was written by chat GPT. It does. <laughs> I, I do have, I do have opinions on the robots replacing us, which I, I dislike the robots, but not for any reason regarding it, uh, you know, our potential labor replacement. I, I think that the robots make us lazy, um, but innovation begets ever more innovation. And uh, so I'm not worried about the robots replacing us. That might be uh, that might be something we can get into either now or later. Does that count as a culture war argument no, when you're talking about no, robots or is this an economic than, argument? Uh, economics okay. labor thing. I got you. I just wonder if we're, you know, to the point that we're going to count them as people yet, you know, because that that could still no. be a culture war in the future, you know. I took a class that basically asked that question, you know, what is what is a human? What is the human boundary? And I I know 
they're not, they're not people. No, no, never, ever, ever. You know, this is going to be like a legit debate between people eventually. I mean, it could be 20, 30 years. I know people already debate about this philosophically. Someday people will really be having this debate because there'll be oh, yes. some legit robots and they'll really be talking about it. And it'll be a culture What's more war. likely is you'll have you'll have sort of hybrid humans. You'll have people mm. who who kind of have AI, v- various types of AI. And the question will be: Are you are you are you robot? Are you human? I don't want to think about this. It's so creepy. <laughs> okay, but as far as an economic conversation goes, I think I I agree with you. It is scary. There could be jobs lost. Uh, whatever. No. But, but no, because it, it just. You know, sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. No. No, no, go ahead. This is your show. Thank, thank you for having me, though. And, and you shouldn't interrupt a, a woman anyhow. Um, so and I hear that I'm a woman. People tell me I'm a woman and mm-hmm. I believe them. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I, I don't worry about that because it just increases the need for ever more skills for humans to develop better skills. And there and again, now we're getting into the substance of my article, in fact, Mm -hmm. it increases the value of the individual worker qua individual, right? It increases the value of what can you offer that a robot cannot, that I cannot, that no one else can. So it really puts the onus on you to brand yourself as a human, but as a unique human. And I'm excited about that because I think that that begets even more opportunity for creation because then when you have the individual worker doing their individual thing, that is diversity, that is competition, that heightens, you know, you always have these peaks and valleys of innovation and growth where you'll have technology, you'll have a big tech boom, And all of a sudden, you'll have people freaking out about worker displacement. And then that is followed by worker empowerment. And we're seeing it again today. I'm very excited about it. I'm excited about it, too. I have some worries because uh, and maybe maybe this time won't be different. But in the past, I feel like we developed new skill sets because we had to. And right now, I'm more worried that we have such a safety net mentality when we come into these new, uh, you know, revolutions, technological revolutions that, sure, humans could develop these new skills that make humans better. Or we could just decide that this is some that, that this is an oppression of some sort by the robots and the people that are using them. And we should just get paid to not do anything and have our UBI and not grow because that would be morally, that would just be wrong to expect us to uh, strive for better and overcome. <laughs> I'm worried that that's but where see, our that's, society is. That is legitimately not the human way. I, again, there are trends in that too, because again, we saw that following the industrial revolution, we got socialism, we got communism, we got a lot of socialized programs and government expansion. However, we also had a huge boom in terms of capitalist productivity. Um, and we had businesses realize, oh, we do need to do better. We have been exploiting workers in some regards. We need to improve ourselves and workers are more valuable now. Um, and this is part of why I have a very nuanced take on unions, because at that time, smaller unions especially did serve a purpose, right? Um, but 
yeah, so you have these you have these back and forths that I think are valuable. Uh, you have this strife and struggle. And humans are chronically dissatisfied. That's one of the great things about people. So they're always striving. It, it, people enjoy being idle to a point and then they get restless. And when they get restless, there's productivity. I like that positive outlook on it. Let's fully pivot this into your article from The Federalist. So why don't you explain to everyone, uh, of course, we followed the gig worker thing a lot. I want to talk about the PRO Act as well, uh, which is the, mm. the big piece that people really want to push through sometime. But uh, tell us about the article. So, yes, uh, this article ran in The Federalist. It's still up there. Uh, it is about Prop 22, which was a measure that was passed democratically, bookmark that, in California uh, in response to a legislative bill, so not passed democratically, uh, called AB5, Assembly Bill 5. Uh, this was the bill that would have basically bankrupt, bankrupted, wow, making <laughs> up a new word, bankrupted gig work and gig economy businesses, startups, especially at that point in California. And when you're talking about moving someone out of California market, you are cutting them off from a lot of consumers. So that would have sent shockwaves throughout the gig economy. What AB5 did was it said, these little startup and delivery apps, they need to be treating their employees as full-time employees. They need to be treating someone like me if I'm delivering from for DoorDash like, twice a week, sometimes when I feel like it, I would be treated like a full-time employee. And I believe there might've been stipulations on how much the uh you know the people who logged in who used the app had to work so that would have limited me as a worker that would have meant okay i have to log in for this many hours and only for this many hours i can't go over right i can't think okay well there's a rent payment that i have coming up so i want to do a little bit more with my side hustle for the businesses they would have had to been paying so many people all of these benefits that they couldn't afford, paid time off, things that just don't make sense when you think about people who are in the gig economy, who are using this as a side hustle or who want to, uh, who are the, you know, be your own bosses. And this was a hugely unpopular measure with drivers in California, gig drivers, as well as, of course, uh, riders, because this would have really increased prices, uh, as well as, of course, the companies. So the response to that was Prop 22. Prop 22 passed by ballot measure. It was bipartisan support. So you had 47% of registered Democrats in California voted for Prop 22. Uh, the vast majority of gig drivers themselves in California, we're talking 80 to 90% supported Prop 22. They liked it better than Assembly Bill 5. Uh, they didn't want these limitations. And of course, the people of California voted for this bill. Then you have uh, a judge, a lower court uh, of appeals that reversed and declared Prop 22 unconstitutional. On March 13th, there was a higher court that reversed the reversal. Uh, 
Uh, so Prop 22 is not is now constitutional again for California. And uh, the SEIU, uh, Service Employees International Union, but I just called them the Service Employees International, mm-hmm. um, long live the international, they decided to appeal. They have been driving this battle against Prop 22 through the courts, and uh, they are determined to take this up to the California Supreme Court. What looks interesting is it looks like the California Supreme Court is indeed going to hear this case. Uh, We don't know that for sure. Uh, But if that's on the docket, once again, that is really going to set a precedent for the future of independent work, for the future of gig work, and the value of the individual worker nationwide. So there's a few different directions I want to go with this. I want to I want to talk about the labor unions and why they are so much against it. Uh, I wanted to affirm all the great things you said about gig work. As I've said on the show before, I use this as my primary source of income for a couple of years. And I also, when I was playing music, I would, I would come home from tour. I would, you know, do deliveries for Uber uh, or Lyft or whatever it was and be able to make some money. And this is why most people use those apps, it's because they aren't employees. I could have gone and gotten a job somewhere if I wanted to get a job, but then I would have been fixed to a schedule and I wouldn't have been able to do all the other things that I wanted to do. The people use these apps specifically because they are not employees. And that is yes. why they exist. But this, but the labor unions have been so against this uh, from the start. And right now, I mean, some of the things you put in this article, like this quote, saying every California voter should be concerned about corporations growing influence in our democracy and their ability to spend millions of dollars to deceive voters and buy themselves laws. Now, this is a democratic process, and they say the corporations lied to everyone and misled them. What do the unions do? Do they not put money into elections? Yeah, homie, can I give you context? This is a this is a statement from David Huerta. My jaw dropped when I read that. So that ran in the New York Times. This is David Huerta's response to the March 13th ruling. Uh, David Huerta is the California SEIU president. And he says this. He said he's talking about, and yes, I, I'll let let me let me reprise the quote. Every California voter should be concerned about corporations' growing influence in our democracy and their ability to spend millions of dollars to deceive voters and buy themselves laws. <laughs> Bruh, you represent a union that has been caught funneling its own members' dues toward political donations. If you compare the amount of money that Uber and Lyft have put into fighting to preserve Prop 22, that pales in comparison to the donations, to the PAC spending, to all of this political activism, which is fine to do, but it is hypocritical to the in the highest order to say it's Uber and Lyft that are tricking voters. How, how, is, how is spending money on a cause tricking voters? That's another thing that I did not understand. I fundamentally don't get How is that deceiving voters? How is that buying a law? This is a democratically passed measure. Anyhow. 
the problem uh, here is the, in the way that labor unions are viewed compared to how corporations are viewed. If it is a union that is representing some type of idea, that's somehow more inherently more democratic than a than a corporation representing this view. And th- I'm sure that would be their argument on on the case. Well. This is why, Nate, we have to distinguish between big labor and sort of original labor unions, right? I was saying, and I'm not, I can't recall if we were on air or off air at when I said it, but there was a time when unions, de- we were on air, I think, because there was mm. there was a time when, when unions definitely served a purpose and they still do, but these need to be these small unions. I'm all for democratically owned corporations if you want to do something like that. Let the workers, yeah, sure. The workers can absolutely have a say in in the in what goes on in their corporation. I think that's awesome. I think that's great. When you have big labor, when you have big unions like the SEIU, they can't pop SEIU Service Employees International. Whom does that incorporate? Is that every single? Every single service employee internationally is unified (laughs) around the interests of the SEIU. I don't think so. So when you get more and more centralized, when you get further and further and further out on the periphery of the individual workers' interests, which you invariably do in any situation that has a centralized body, whether we're talking about government, whether we're talking about unions, whether we're talking about a corporation, you abandon or you become distant from the interests of any given individual worker. This is why I distinguish between big labor and smaller unions that are are essential in a lot of industries still. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I want you to think about this. Really think about the answer to this question. In the past week, how much time did you spend on yourself, on things that you needed and wanted versus the amount of time you spent on other people and what they wanted and what they needed. It's easy to get caught up worrying about everyone else and what makes them happy. And then a couple months go by and you're like, whoa, what about me? Not that it's wrong to, to want to help people. We should want to help people. But therapy can help you strike a better balance in your life so you can continue being a great friend or a great family member without getting stretched thin and burned out. My life was changed because I chose to go to therapy and our co-host Charlie has been a BetterHelp customer for years and he loves it. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, flexible, and convenient. Just fill out a few questions on the website. You get matched with a licensed therapist and you can even switch therapists at any time for no charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com gml today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash G-M-L. I still, uh, I'll ask some annoying, I guess, stubborn libertarian questions about sure. about unions for you. So, uh, so you say that unions had their had their place. There's a purpose. Uh, there's a you know for good reason they they started to appear. Um, what what were some? Is it true though? You know, or were some of those changes already happening, and the unions happened to come in at the same time? I. I just wonder, sure. I, I still can't support it if it's by force, for sure. I, mm-hmm. Even if we can make the case that they did good things, I still can't support it if it's, if it's by force um, because I think the business should just be able to fire whoever they want, whoever's an employee. And sure. if they want to sure. unionize, I think you should be able to fire all of them. That's fine. And if you run out of people to hire, then eventually you'll have to go with the union, I guess. That's what that's what you'll have to do. 
the, I don't know, make the, is there a libertarian case for the unions? I mean, there is certainly, there's a libertarian case for, for democratically owned corporations. There's, there's a, there's a libertarian case for uh, worker owned corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, and if that includes a union, then sure, go for it. Um, so, you know, I, I support, I support right to work. And I think absolutely, you make a great point that there were a number of factors that helped to change uh, basically the labor economy for the better, uh, that helped to increase the value of the individual worker. Certain unions were part of that, uh, or rather worker organization, we can just say, or, or you know, worker organization, we don't have to say unions, um, are part of that. And in other regards, there were legislative measures that were part of that. In other regards, there were businesses saying, oh my gosh, the public is really upset. Upton Sinclair is messing up our, can I swear? Sure. Uh, Upton Sinclair is wrecking our shit, uh, publishing things like The Jungle. Uh, we need to do better because people realize, oh, we're not we're not so hot with our workers. We're not so hot with our sausage making processes, et cetera. <laughs> so you have all of these different factors at play. I don't think you can single out one and say that one worked, that one didn't often enough. Uh, by the way, you told me to make sure I reminded you that today was the original labor day. Is that correct? Something like that. I don't, I still don't understand that. In my mind, it's, he, he, okay, this is the part where I get canceled. Are you okay. ready? Yes, let's do okay. it. In my mind, it's Uno de Mayo. Have I told you the story <laughs> of Uno de Mayo? No, you, you have can not. cut this if you want. <laughs> We're going to run long. Okay. No, it's fine. So when I was in high school, I was in AP Gov and my teacher, whose name was Keith, wow, it was a hippie school. We called our teachers by their first names. It's great. Um, my teacher, whose name was Keith, was talking about labor unions. And he says, I still remember this exact dialogue. He says, and so the Knights of Labor organized a general strike on May 1st, which as we know is what, Amanda? And it, what, um, the May Day, it's May Day. Mm -hmm. I had never heard, I didn't know it was Labor Day. So it's May Day? No, 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 but, but what is it? What is May 1st? The first of May, and he's come on. You're supposed to be smart. What's May first? He's trying to get me to say Labor Day, which I had no, I didn't know. I thought Labor Day was in September, and I, I finally just spit out. I don't know, Keith. It's it's Uno de Mayo, <laughs> and everyone lost it. Um, and we actually had an Uno de Mayo celebration at like Keith's it. prompting that year. I will not go, <laughs> I will not uh, detail the rest of that. But yes, so now my family uh, all will still text me to this day. And I still get people from high school texting me, happy Uno de Mayo. Uh, so today I've gotten happy Uno de Mayo texts. I like it. We will celebrate Uno de Mayo from, from now on. All right. Although we are dating Cheers. this episode, by the way, because this episode's not coming out today. Hello, everyone in the future. This is us from the past talking to you on Uno de Mayo. I hope you had a great celebration. Happy Uno de Mayo, everyone. Um, International Labor Day falls on May 1st. I'm just looking this up uh, right now. We don't officially celebrate. We don't officially recognize that because we have our own Labor Day. 
I guess. I looked we're up Americans. This, yeah. it, this NPR article, which, by the way, is a government-funded media organization. It says, what is May Day, for the most part, the opposite of capitalism? That's the title <laughs> of the article. It's the opposite of capitalism. That's what May Day is. Okay. Great. That tells me everything I needed to know. So this is all about workers organizing. I got to tell you, I'm just not a fan of unions. Never have been. Um, I've got bad personal stories with unions, which I've told. I do too. Plenty of times in the past. You do too, which you talked about some on the, la the last time you were here, I believe. Uh, a yeah. little bit of that stuff. How did all that stuff shake out, by the way? Uh, you mean for them? Yeah, for them. I, I think I think the um, wait. Did they run you out of town? Is that what happened? Are you afraid of getting firebombed? Of no, I was already I was already okay. making moves to um to exit, and uh, it was just kind of it, it put. So for those who are who are wondering what is Amanda talking about, um, I transferred to UW Madison. I was already going to transfer, um, so this was not the reason. I transferred <laughs> to UW Madison. Uh, really, my advisor. Uh, moved to UW Madison as well. And I followed him uh, from UCLA. And uh, the University of California has a very active um, student labor uh, committee, a student union, grad student union, um, especially in poli sci. I'm a political science PhD uh, student. And <laughs> you just say students still. And uh, there was a huge University of California grad worker strike that completely derailed the undergrads once again uh, during my last quarter at UCLA. And we won't, we don't have to get into the details, but for me, I certainly empathized with many of the grievances that uh, the UC student union raised. Now, just pivot to part of the negotiations were also being represented by United Auto Workers, mm. which I didn't really understand, uh, but you know, again, we're talking about labor unions not representing the interests or even the industry of the individual worker. United Auto Workers. I don't immediately see the connection uh, between those uh, things. No, but okay, we're just going to go with it. So UAW and UC grad students, um, they just refused. Well, UC grad students just refused to work. And... As someone who had experienced a lot of hardship from the administration, the UC administration and the UCLA administration, I could empathize, but I was not going to deprive my students of another quarter um, after what they had been through with COVID policies. I still get tearful talking about yeah. this because it was so, so impactful to me um, thinking about how much it, it really wrecked the gra the undergrads who didn't have as much of an out as I did even. Um, and so I, I did what is called, I think it's called black legging, uh, which is where you, you don't, you still work during a strike. Mm. It's not quite scabbing because you're not replacing the workers, uh, but you're, you're a laborer who, who 
defies the interests of you, the you worker. Cross, you cross the line, uh, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I crossed the line. I, I crossed the picket line, the invisible picket <laughs> yeah. line. Um, and I kept working. And I was the only, I was literally, Nate, at UCLA, the only grad student I knew who was still working. Um, and it was hard. Uh, again, this is part of my personal experience with, again, it, with, unions in general. So yeah, I, I have, I have a multifaceted view <laughs> yeah, of unions yeah. and whose interests do they really represent? I, uh, I, I've told mine a few times, so I won't, I won't go through it anymore, but it involved my mom and the teacher's union and then her getting screwed over for a couple of years. So uh, the, the, uh, I guess the the short the short story is that they're required. Uh, schools are required to pay you based on the amount of years that you've worked in teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. she took another job as at the regional office of education, uh, you know, working for the regional superintendent. And when going back to school, well, she came in at a higher salary because she had been teaching for twenty years already, and she kept getting let go for budget cuts for people that just came out of college. And that that just kept happening over and over again before she would get tenure. Uh, they would they'd let her go. And then eventually she was unemployed and she told the school, like, hey, I'll work for whatever a college fresh out of college person is is making. Like, I just need a job. I don't need you to pay me for 25 years of teaching. I just need a mm -hmm. job and you can pay mm -hmm. me for two years of teaching. That's fine. And they said, nope, we literally can't do that. We can't pay you. The, the union won't allow us to pay you the half of the salary that you're asking for right now. <laughs> it's just it not possible. It limits your ability to earn money. And I've experienced yeah. that from unions too. Yes. So she ended up being unemployed for a couple of years because uh, in Southern Illinois, like, there were cuts going on at all the schools around there and they would not hire a teacher that had 25 years experience. And she was not allowed to work for a lower pay than what she was required to get paid. And so instead she was just unemployed. Yeah. And and so that was a very, that was a very frustrating time. Eventually uh, she was able to find some schools that were wanting to hire some some good teachers, a really good experience. So that problem was was worked out. But yeah, unions aren't right. always a great thing. That's the backstory here. Um, well, yeah, and again, big labor, the, for the bigger the labor gets, just like big business, the less you're representing the interest of the individual. Yeah. Basic. Now, where are they still trying to push this pro act before we, before we wrap up here? We've talked about this a few times and I'll say it again. The pro act is the most dangerous piece of legislation I've ever seen considered uh, in all the time I've spent looking at politics. Uh, have you seen them talk about this uh, recently at all? Uh, who is, who is them? First of all, them. You know, the, <laughs> those people, the ones out there on the East Coast. Uh, the PRO Act, I mean, I, I've, I've seen, I haven't heard a whole lot uh, of, of, rumble, of, of new news about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, yeah. I haven't either. I, I, <laughs> I'm also skeptical that it will really protect the interests of the individual worker. 
Uh, no, no. I mean, it's basically a big AB5 for the entire country. It's, it would be really, right. it would be really, really right. terrible. Um, all right. Well, and that's why I'm, I'm interested in following this case uh, mm-hmm. with California's Prop 22, because that could set a precedent with, with regard to the PRO Act as well. I, I hope that it's so crazy that they reversed it then reversed the reversal. And now I'm just like, okay, so right now, just so everyone knows, in California at the moment, a gig worker is allowed to be a gig worker. Correct? Yes. That's you can be happening. your own boss. Okay. Well, that's nice of them for people who identify as their own bosses to allow them uh, to be able to do that there in California. See, we got to throw that in somehow. You can't skip out on talking about the culture war, right? Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> be a girl boss, be a boy boss, be whatever gender boss you want to be. Just not your own boss. <laughs> I guess not. Girl bosses. Amanda, where can everyone go to follow all of your all of your stuff, all of the things? Where can they find all the things? You can find all the things, first of all, on Twitter at Ajax the Griff, A-J-A-X-T-H-E-G-R-I-F-F. And you can also follow me at my Young Voices contributor page, uh, where you'll see all my latest hits, all my latest articles, uh, where I'll continue to write about this. And you find me at The Federalist, you find me at Reason, you find me at NRO, you find me on The Young Turks. So <laughs> this is libertarian life. Um, just uh, just living the dream. Well, it's great. To hang out with you finally it's been it's been a while i don't know how long it's been actually a few months it's been I guess. a long time because every because again my schedule is such that i'm either teaching or in class when mm. you do the show so i'm very excited for the summer when i actually get to come you're back coming home. back you're coming back to the club to hang out with us for a little I'm bit i'm coming back to the club yeah just yeah. just to chill with you guys you call yourselves the fed haters now what is this <laughs> it's the fed haters club for sure i don't know Oh, it's because of our God Hates Fed shirt. That's uh, that's what it is. So it's the Fed Haters Club. That's the best name we could come up with it so far. And by the way, everyone, that's joingmail.com. All right, Amanda, thank you so much. Your All of your links to all of your things will be in the show notes for everyone hanging out. It has been fun, and I would love to talk to you again very soon. Let's do it, my friends. Great to talk with you.